Welcome back to Conversing with Shelly. I'm your host, none other than Shelly Shell or Michelle. I did not record an episode last week. I took my own advice and I practiced a little self-care and slightly unplugged. Election week was stressful. I did not know what this country was about to do. I still don't know what this country is about to do. However, I do feel better um, with the election week being over, decision being made. Um, congratulations to President Joe Biden and our Madam Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris, these pros are for you. Congrats. Um, I also did not want to rush through this topic because I think it's very important for people to explore this. And so I did not want to just put one up just to say I put an episode up every week. Um, so without further ado, the topic of this week is how I made it or why I made it. Most people, um, who hear my story, they are very taken aback that first of all, I can tell it with a smile. I'm not crying. Um, I'm not in jail. I am as sane as sane can get. And I can still, you know, have an appreciation for my experience. And I usually don't have a concrete answer every time. My answers always seem to be different when someone asks, well, how did you make it? How did you make it? And so many other people didn't. Um, And so a few years ago, I was introduced to ACES, Adverse Childhood Experiences Survey. And I think that it shined a lot of light on how I was able to make it and so many other people weren't. Um, So before I discuss how I made it, I want to review a little bit about ACES. So ACES is a survey. It was done many years ago. I thought it was fairly new, but it's just new to me. Um, And it reviewed different aspects of a child's life related to trauma. So sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, um, verbal abuse, neglect, and they followed these children for years. I want to say 20, 20 years and just really watched how their lives turned out health wise, you know, relationship wise, professional aspects of their life. And they noticed that there was a pattern of these people, people who experienced adverse childhood experiences, um, were having some of the similar outcomes. And so the study was published. It was a group of 300 Kaiser member members. <clears throat> Those traumas were also um, well studied. When we say well studied, witnessing a grandmother abusing a father, witnessing a father being abused by a mother, um, losing a caregiver, watching a sibling being abused, just things like that, that they felt when the child saw that or was a part of it, it definitely changed the trajectory of their lives if there was no intervention. Um, so usually when I do treatment, I have my clients take the ACEs, um, survey reason being we can be conditioned to go through something and think that it is normal and not realize that this is indeed in a traumatic um, experience. And when you're able to identify those things, you can work through how it has impacted your life where you are now. So I'm just going to read the 
questions of the survey. I'm not going to give my answer, but I will tell you there are 10 questions and out of the 10 questions, eight of them I was in, able to answer yes. And so after you have passed, I want to say with an A score of four or more, things start getting serious. So there is an increased risk of the disease, social and emotional problems, um, lung disease, hepatitis, depression, suicide, all those things, um, the likelihood of all those things increase as your score increase. So remember, mine is eight out of 10. So the first question is, did a parent or adult in the household often or very often swear at you, insult you, put you down or humiliate you. And this is all before your 18th birthday. So this is since birth all the way to 18. Has this ever happened? Even if it happened once. Um, Question number two, did a parent or other adult in the household often or very often push, grab, slap, or throw something at you? Or even hit you so hard that you had marks or were injured? Number three, did an adult or person at least five years older than you touch or fondle you or have you touched their body in a sexual way or attempt or actually have oral, anal, or vaginal intercourse with you? Four, did you often or very often feel that no one in your family loved you or thought you were important or special or your family didn't look out for each other, feel close to each other, or support each other? Did you often... This is number five. Did you often or very often feel that you didn't have enough to eat, had to wear dirty clothes, and had no one to protect you? Or your parents were too drunk or high to take care of you or take you to the doctor if you needed it? Number six, were your parents ever separated or divorced? Number seven, was your mother or stepmother often or very often Pushed, grabbed, slapped, or had something thrown at her, or sometimes or very often kicked, bitten, hit with a fist, or hit with something hard, or ever repeatedly hit over at least a few minutes, or threatened with a gun or knife. Um, number eight, did you live with anyone who was a problem drinker or alcoholic or who who used street drugs? Number nine. Was a household member depressed or mentally ill or did a household member attempt suicide? Number 10, did a household member go to prison? So remember that after a score of four, your your likelihood of, you know, lung disease, depression, suicide, substance use disorder, um, other, other diseases, emotional, social problems increase so I had a score of eight out of ten I knew that I had a pretty traumatic life um, childhood I guess I just didn't have a number or a scale or specific questions to ask me for me to just sit there and really think about the things I've gone through um but it was it was it was eye opening to see how much I had experienced by eighteen, and a lot of that stuff I had probably experienced before I was nine or ten. Um, how does this relate to how I got to where I am? 
why I made it and so many other people didn't. Well, in addition to the ACEs survey, there's also a resilience questionnaire. And what that questionnaire is doing is just trying to gauge how much, um, how many protective factors were in place that could have lessened the blow, for lack of better words, of these traumatic experiences. So there are 14 items on that questionnaire. And amazingly, I was able to score 11. So my score was 11 out of 14. I'm going to read the questions. I will not reveal my answers. Um, Number one, I believe that my mother loved me when I was little. And the answers are definitely true, probably true, not sure, probably not true, definitely not true. Um, So anytime that you can answer definitely true or probably true, that is a a score that you add or a point you add to your score. So again, I'll repeat number one. I believe that my mother loved me when I was little. Um, Two, I believe that my father loved me when I was little. Number three, when I was little... Other people helped my mother and father take care of me, and they seemed to love me. Number four, I've heard that when I was an infant, someone in my family enjoyed playing with me, and I enjoyed it too. Number five, when I was a child, there were relatives in my family who made me feel better if I was sad or worried. Six, when I was a child, neighbors or friends... Neighbors or my friend's parents seemed to like me. Number seven, when I was a child, teachers, coaches, youth leaders, or ministers were there to help me. Eight, someone in my family cared about how I was doing in school. Nine, my family, neighbors, and friends talked often about making our lives better. Um, Ten, We had rules in our house and were expected to keep them. 11, when I felt really bad, I could almost always find someone I trusted to talk. 12, as a youth, people noticed that I was capable and could get things done. 13, I was independent and a go-getter. 14, I believe that life is what you make it. So as you look at the score, eight out of 10 from the traumatic events, you can see that in short, I had as many protective factors in my life as I did traumatic events. So it was almost like when one bad thing happened, I had three amazing things, people, places, things that was able to kind of lessen the blow of that traumatic experience. Did I forgive the stuff? No. Did it impact me? Yes. Did it take work for me to get past what happened? Yes. Um, But those protective factors um, definitely help with my healing and me moving forward. So when people ask me how I made it or why I made it, I feel personally that the other people they probably didn't have as many um, resiliency factors or protective factors as I did. Um, My friends wanted a lot. I had friends who wanted to be vets. They wanted to be doctors, nurses, um, wanted to work in Congress. So we were kids in the hood talking about these kind of jobs. It wasn't like we just really didn't, we had no goals. There are people who really wanted to do things. Um, 
But looking back, they definitely did not have the protective factors I did. And also they didn't have people intervene as early, as quickly, and as consistently as I did. Um, so with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and review the four things that helped me get to where I, um, where I am. And I'll tie it back into the ACEs. So number one. I was uncomfortable. I grew up in a six bedroom house. I know people were like, that's big. It's not big when six people live in the house. Um, so obviously I sound like a brat now, <laughs> but when I was four, five, five, six, seven, that house didn't seem that big with so many people in it. It reminded me of like home alone, but I just was not comfortable with, um, how much my mother worked. She most often worked two jobs. She came in with one uniform, cooked us something to eat, was headed out doing another uniform. She was always tired. Um, so I knew that whatever I did, I did not want to have to work so much. Um, the food ratio. It's five kids, one adult. It wasn't a whole lot of food sometimes. Other times we had food, but the times we didn't have food, we didn't have food. Um, we became very creative with the things we did have in the cabinets. Um, but that just wasn't comfortable to me. Some people was like, you know, Hey, that's just life. I was not comfortable. I knew when I got older, I wanted to go in my kitchen and get regular food. I wanted to make a whole meal, no peanut butter without the jelly, no rice without the beans. I wanted the ingredients there. I liked name brand food. So Things like that, I wasn't uncomfortable. I wouldn't even say I was ungrateful because I was. I ate it. Um, I didn't complain unless there were bones in it. Um, so me being uncomfortable definitely kept me dreaming. It kept me thinking about how I was going to do things differently for my life, what I was going to do to make sure I didn't end up, you know, having to try to figure out how much we were going to eat, you know, working two, three jobs to take care of children, things like that. Um Number two, I was introduced to this word in high school by my guidance counselor. I think one of the guidance counselors, I think eventually they were my guidance counselor, but they, uh, tenacity. I was tenacious. So if I put my mind to something, I was going to do it. I was determined. There was a lot of obstacles. If there was a problem, I had a solution and if I wanted it bad enough, I made it happen. So since middle school, I wanted to be a therapist. I thought I wanted to be a teacher, but being able to have mentors, I realized I was not trying to be anybody's teacher um, and have a clean record. So obviously I wanted to be a therapist. Um, I still wanted to help children. And through that time, all the way through high school, I just had all of these obstacles. It was a lot of things come up. It was just really bad time. Um, we were moving a lot. Just mom didn't have a whole lot of support. I, I was just very, very determined though. You know, I remember catching the bus from OJT to get to work and I rode my bike to get to the job because I needed the bike to get back on the bus after work to ride back to the school to ride the bike from the school to a softball field to practice softball 
got off of practice from softball, got back on the city bus, drove back to the north side for people who live in St. Petersburg, went to Gibbs, um, and worked till 11. And I did that very, very often, but I was determined. I knew that, first of all, you know, sports was getting me exposed to different things. I knew that I needed to work for money. It was also giving me experience. I needed to save money for when I was going to move or whatever I was going to do. I was just determined. I was determined. Um, and number three, which it probably could be number one. It put it should have been number one because it was very important to me early on is what I call parent, parent talk. And parent, parent talk is how one parent talks about another parent. It may seem like something so simple, but it's very detrimental if it is not, you know, um, if you don't pay attention to what you say about a child's parent, it does not matter if the parent got up, went for bread and never came back. The child does not, I'm telling you as an adult now, as a child, I did not process that this person was gone for any other reason than I don't know, the two fairy took them. It was not because this was a deadbeat person or they didn't love me, things like that. So to hear my mother talk about my father the way she did it was very um it's inspiring now it motivates me as I care for my nephew um to be cognizant of what I say you know I I cannot remember one word one bad word she spoke of my father I have not known my father ever apparently I met him when I was two months I don't know how that counts I do remember talking to him on the phone um like in early elementary school and I recently found him. But other than that, like my whole life, I did not have my father present. And I remember it was times, you know, our lights got cut off. We didn't have enough food. We would ask why we, I, why we can't go live with him or where is he at? And those are times she could have been frustrated and said, you know, he ain't ish or, you know, go find your daddy or whatever. She was very, calm even in her frustration from us asking because now as an adult I can see how that would feel if I'm taking care of five children and these children are asking about the parents who are not present I did not recognize that when I was a child but in hindsight that that had to be rough for us to keep asking her about this man who is not here who knew our address who knew our phone number and she's working two three jobs probably foregoing and you know a lot of things that she wanted to do um but she never she never talked bad about him and because she didn't it helped me get through him not being there it did not negate it I clearly knew he was missing I knew he had children she did let us know that um but even with that I don't know for some reason her words were reassuring enough and it could have been a whole different way had she not um, been cognizant of what she said about him. Um, I saw my friend's parents talk about their parent, the other parent, and it was just not very healthy. And I can I saw how that impacted the relationship later on. Had the child, um, you know, rekindled the relationship with the parent or the parent decided to come back. It was just very tumultuous. So I am glad for her not doing that. Um... Like I said, it helped me a lot emotionally, mentally. 
I don't want to think about this person being this terrible person who left. I don't, I still to this day cannot really ration, rationalize and I will not why he was not there, but it did help me get through life. It was years. I forgot I didn't have a daddy. I just had that much support. I had that great of a village. Um, and that's a good segue into number four. Number four, the fourth reason why I made it and so many others probably didn't is my village was fire. Like y'all, I don't even know how to explain it from janitors to coaches, to teachers, to the store clerks, judges. I had a village that has been unmatched. I only hope that if I have children that they have this kind of village. I don't know where these people came from. I don't know how they found me most of the time, but they cared about me. And they were very intentional um, in showing that they cared about me. And it wasn't just to discipline me because I had experienced that too, where it was, I'm the adult. I know your mom. I'm going to tell you what to do, um, but I'm not going to tell you I'm not going to give you any advice or tell you how to be great in life. I'm going to just tell you how bad you are and I'm going to correct that. So I had that experience. Um, but with this village, it was it was just so, I just can't, sometimes I'm without words. Uh, to this day, like, the people who cared about me, they cared. And I'm talking about I was not a very welcoming, appreciative village member. I didn't want these people to care. I was so comfortable and used to just very negative relationships with adults that I did not know how to receive the support and the love I got from the people who showed up in my life. Um, but with those people showing up, it, it changed the trajectory. Um, never mind being uncomfortable Never mind being tenacious. I think knowing that somebody believed I was able to do something, it it it, it did wonders for me. So I had a uh, I got in a fight in middle school. Some people may remember it. Lord, I was arrested. Never been arrested in my life. Straight A B student, perfect attendance. I end up at JDC, and I get to. The JDC Center, JDC, the little house, the little jailhouse for teens. And my mom was pulling up as they were taking my fingerprints. Like she came in there was like, let me get my baby. She was quick. And I was actually being bullied. So it wasn't like I was some heathen and I should have been in there. I was protecting myself. Um, but when she showed up and we had a court date, I get to court. I never been to court. It's not like I had like a degree in jail sentences. I don't know, but I was not um, ready for court. First of all, I had not dressed appropriately because I didn't know what you wore to court. Um, and then the judge, he was an African American man. Um, he was he was frustrated that I kept answering by nodding my head, which apparently you're supposed to give like regular words in court so the person could type it. And it can go on record. So one thing I remember him saying was, don't come back here again. He didn't say it in a mean way. 
I think it was the look on his face, but he immediately became one of my people in my village. Like I elected him to be, when he said, don't come back, I did not come back. And he, he, he seemed disappointed after reading my chart or I guess it's called a record in court. And he saw my grades and he saw I had never been in trouble. And he was like, how do you go from this to being in here? You know, this is not a good start. And it was, it, it was a different approach that he took. And so when he said he didn't want to see me back, I really didn't want to disappoint that person. So it wasn't even fear. I mean, I'm afraid of jail, but I was more um, concerned about disappointing this person who seemed to be disappointed in me. Like some people were used to people, the kid, you know, my classmates going to jail. They weren't surprised. He was genuinely surprised as to why I was standing there. Um, so that impacted me. That was sixth grade and I have not been arrested and I don't plan on being arrested. Thank you, Mr. Village judge, sir. Um, but I had coaches, coaches, um, who taught me sports, I didn't know about softball, but apparently people out here playing softball. And I was able to actually travel around the country uh, playing softball. And it's because my coaches not only believed in me, but they they wanted to be a support. You know, I'm pretty sure they could have found somebody else to play center field, left field. Um, but they wanted to be consistent as well. So even when the season was over, they still checked on me. You know, they still still as team gatherers or practices. And if I didn't have a ride, they showed up and came and got me. Um, just things like that. And my friends, parents, um, my mom was kind of spread thin. You know, she had five kids. Two of us were twins. Twin, the babies are twins, me and my brother. So she had a lot of kids to try to give attention to. And so obviously... Somebody was always lacking attention. Um, and I did did pretty, tried to just stay out of the way and let attention go to other places. I had a lot of attention from my friends' parents. Um, so I would adopt people's moms and their dads and their uncles. I'd be at family reunions and they were always so welcoming. And then when I showed up, it was like they asked about school. They asked how I was doing, you know, emotionally, physically, things like that. They noticed if I was sad. They noticed if my clothes, you know, did not look clean. Just things like that. So I think people checking on me and encouraging me, it definitely helped with me getting to where I was. Um, so when we go back to ACEs, I think of those things. I've been through a lot. Um, but I don't like to think that. I made it and, you know, I'm better than anybody. I think I made better decisions than a lot of people I grew up with who did not make it to where they were trying to go. But I also believe that they experienced traumas that aren't even on this survey. You know, it asks about domestic violence and it asked about if you were molested. It doesn't ask about burying a, a classmate when you're in seventh grade. You know, a lot of us had RIP shirts, rest in peace shirts. Too many of them, actually. My mom got to a point where she would not let me get any more shirts. That's how many people I lost between middle school and high school. Um, I remember the riots when I, I want to say it was Tyrone Lewis. I remember that. I was at home. I was on the block, but I saw the city on fire. I saw the lights. You know, there are things that you experience that, no survey can encompass. And so when you're exploring your life and trying to figure out why things are not working out, 
I am big on trauma, definitely childhood trauma. Um, really explore things you experienced when you were younger, childhood experiences. Um, whether they were good or bad, there's sometimes where I get discouraged here as an adult, and I literally just think back to things I got through when I was eight. And it's like, how am I here, 33 years old, crying or frustrated or losing sleep about this when I got through this when I was eight? Um, and it helps me to move forward. So ultimately, ultimately, how I got to where I was or where I am and where I'm going is pretty much just continue to accept and be open to my protective factors. You know, people continue to come in my life and support me and love on me. And I'm more open to it now. Before I was not, I was comfortable in mess, drama, um, negativity, because I experienced that a lot, especially with the dogs. Um, but I just continue to welcome that, that support and that love. And I also have learned to pour it into myself. I did a lot of pouring it into other people and then I was empty and I had nothing left for myself. So I was on this roller coaster of, you know, how am I doing so well and I feel so sad or how am I doing so well, but I can't manage my money. And so now I'm learning to pour back into myself. I'm learning to support myself, encourage myself um, as well. But that's about it with me. Of course, I appreciate the people who have reached out, um, given ideas, topics, ask questions. If you have reached out, you saw how quickly I respond. Um, so don't hesitate to, as always, please do not try to diagnose yourself or somebody else, provide treatment, any of that with the information shared on this podcast. If you are having a crisis, please call 1-800-950-6264. That is the NAMI, um, National Alliance of Mental Illness. Also, there's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. If you're having thoughts and want to hurt yourself or you know someone who is, definitely call 1-800-273-8255. That is a 24-hour hotline. There's also a live online chat. If you go to National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, I continue to support the idea of calling mobile crisis versus police first. Um... So here in Charlotte, the mobile crisis number is 919-733-7011. If there's any topic, question, concern, anything, please email me at conversingwithshelly at gmail.com. That's conversing, C-O-N-V-E-R-S-I-N-G, with Shelly, C-H-E-L-L-Y. Meet me back here next week when I will talk about who to take to the hospital or when seeking treatment. You do not want to miss this. Working in the hospital and providing treatment, I think this is a very important thing to discuss and definitely information that you need. Until then, you can follow me on Twitter at Convo with Shelly. Instagram conversing underscore with underscore Shelly and of course here on anchor this is your dope therapist signing off